Okay, so disclaimer. TV series often have a Halloween episode. Now, there are two types of Halloween episodes. First, some were just a normal episode with a Halloween theme. A typical plot, but carried out with costumes, pumpkins, candy, and trick-or-treating happening in the background. A second type of Halloween episode is the non-canon episode. Shows like The Simpsons made Halloween episodes that stood out from any other episode in the season. The normal rules, plots, storylines, and character history were thrown out the window to serve scary or devilish plots. Characters didn't act like they normally did. There was real gore and horror not found at any other time in the series. And none of the events carried over into the plots for the rest of the season. We, at Reinventing Education Podcast, wanted to try this second type for our Halloween episode. Partly as a creative challenge, but partly to take the piss out of ourselves, as we tend to take discussing education quite seriously. So, enjoy. All Ghouls School. Do they work? Dracula. The Wolfman. Frankenstein. Would these monsters ever assemble as a group in an educational setting? While skeptics declare it impossible, a few brave pioneers seem to suggest an inclusive environment for all students deemed monsters is possible. For humans, the choice of schools are wide, inquiry or traditional, private or public, but not so for the denizens of the undead or those cursed with the power of necromancy. Today, we look at schools that cater to those on the other side, the establishment sometimes known as the All-Ghoul School. So, how do we ensure that the undead get the education they deserve? What are the values embedded in these schools, and do they really serve their purposes? Information on ghoul schools are scant, as many are established for the sole purpose of hiding their young fiends from humans who have sought to remove their curses or hammer wooden planks into their chests. Yet, there have been a few educational explorers who have ventured beyond the forbidden forest and into parallel dimensions to investigate this most dangerous of educational faculty. Where to begin? Well, we find these schools are broken roughly into three groups. The Monster School, the Scare School, and the School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. We begin by looking at monster schools. Let's take a look at Gravedale High, a cartoon from the early 1990s produced by Hanna-Barbera. Information on this school comes to us through the babblings of actor Rick Moranis, who, at the height of his fame, having just starred in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and, ironically, Ghostbusters, inexplicably left acting to teach at an animated school. Yes, the actual character in this children's cartoon was Rick Moranis, the actor. Other than the obvious differences, for example, operating at night, being housed in a graveyard, and serving spiders for lunch, the school operates within a fairly healthy ambition paradigm. Each lagoon creature, invisible lass, or 5,000-year-old pharaoh is given the guidance and support needed for them to pursue towards the career of their choice by a now-reformed buster, a true tale of redemption and a teacher turning a new leaf. 
And although the Hollywood thespian was not beyond employing some old-fashioned self-discipline in the form of physical punishment to bring his rowdy devils into line, in an unexpected display of deconstructive sensitivity values, Moranis would often pause his classes to allow students to perform improvised song and dance numbers for several excruciating minutes. This might be part of the reason that this school only lasted for 13 animated episodes. It is actually not unusual, even for a human child, to occasionally find themselves mixed up in this kind of school. But fear not, for they will receive an education not too far removed from your average high school. Just keep the garlic and crucifixes handy. Monster schools are really just human schools. But instead of humans, the students, through no fault of their own, are monsters. Monsters who will one day enter the job market, contribute as citizens, and develop into unique creatures. Sadly, not every monster can live as carefree of a life as those within the walls of Gravedale, where ghouls receive training in the basics of reading, writing, and arithmetic. This brings us to our second of our ghoul schools, the Scare School. Here we turn to Nickelodeon's Ah! Real Monsters series, which ran from 1994 to 1997. This show featured the Monsters Academy, based in the city dump, and its sister school, the Monsters University. Unlike our previous school, here, the only subject on the curriculum is fear-mongering. These schools are driven by a real need within the community to frighten the sweet bejesus out of living folk. Schools operating with such a program believe that should humans stop fearing monsters, they would cease to exist. Human fear was at one point used to power their homes, but this was phased out several years ago. So what values do we see embodied in the scare school? Well, there is an authentic need within the community for citizens to scare. This is their culture, and they use education to reinforce and maintain such beliefs and such a way of living, or life. This has the effect of seeing the traditional lesson format being almost entirely abandoned in favor of hands-on assignments, where students are challenged to apply their skills in real-world situations. Culture doesn't survive in theory. It lives through the actions of people, or in this case, the monsters. And although we do see an element of the duty that we would expect within the self-discipline paradigm, it is heavily augmented with the sort of personalized differentiation that we would only ever encounter within a highly developed sensitivity paradigm. In this school, each student, regardless of their number of tentacles or level of gooeyness, would be expected to peer mentor their classmates to overcome the challenges that occur while scaring the willies out of the human children that they encounter. However, one valid concern a parent may have if their child were to enroll in the scare schools is that the narrowness of the curriculum could potentially negatively impact any monster who saw their future in, say, architecture or marine biology, rather than in giving us the heebie-jeebies. In this, I would venture to suggest that the transdisciplinary nature of this system of education would more than prepare any monster for life in the VUCA economy. Scare schools, a specialized school similar to an apprenticeship for ghouls who know their calling in life, where they can receive an education rich in focus, 
but perhaps lacking the breadth required in our modern age. Finally, we shift our attention towards our third type of ghoul school, the school of witchcraft and wizardry. Documentation on our final supernatural establishment was provided to us by a young researcher by the name of Joanne Rowling, whose seven notebooks were found languishing on a dusty corner of the internet. Rowling describes the school of Hogwarts, which is a Scottish secondary school for witches and wizards, though try as we might, we could not find any maps of the area. Now, Due to the volume of information held in these notebooks, we have the largest amount of information on this educational institution, although much of it seems to be plagued with baffling gaps in logic and contradictions. Unlike the other schools we've considered, the wizarding school is driven by the biological needs of the students, who must control their powers and use them to protect the world from the forces of evil that appear once a year towards the end of the second term. For reasons mentioned above, Students are chosen for their powers, and applications for non-powered individuals are not accepted, which does raise some very difficult conversation about diversity, discrimination, and privilege, but we think this requires its own episode to unpack fully. To foster student control of this very specific skill set, the curriculum is geared towards subjects such as studying charms, potions, and herbology, with surprisingly little credence given to traditional subjects such as language, mathematics, or science. Students arrive at the age of 11, after having apparently been homeschooled or unschooled. The details on this are never quite clear. Levels of prior education seem irrelevant in a way that would seem highly detrimental in most non-magical schools. There are no entry exams, which leave us to wonder what the admission criteria for such establishments would be. Hogwarts operates clearly within the self-discipline paradigm, promoting perseverance and dedication while upholding strict uniform and behavior regulations. Lessons are often taught rote from textbooks with a very teacher-centric focus, a fact which is somewhat unfortunate given that as there is a worrying trend of teachers disappearing mid-year in highly mysterious circumstances. To a developmentally-minded educator, Alarm bells may ring at how little the sensitivity value looks to be at play within the wizarding school, with almost no differentiation within the lessons, and with students being expected to continue their studies even within hours of the brutal death of fellow classmates at the hands of reincarnated necromancers. I scarred Rowling's notes for any evidence of a school counselor, but it was to of no avail. However, to be fair to Hogwarts, the community it serves much more reflects a medieval society than a 21st century one, with magic sufficing to meet almost all of the needs of the populace and effectively rendering the economy obsolete in a near-perfect pseudo-socialist welfare state where the cost of necessities like food, medicine, shelter are almost non-existent as long as the supply of magic wands continues to flow freely. And thus, with apprenticeships to trades providing the vast majority of career opportunities beyond school, the years spent within Hogwarts are much more in line with the self-discipline aim of serving to bring you into the community that you will inhabit in adulthood. It is worth noting that many former students are the very people who return years later to teach at the institution, providing a rich lineage of the school's culture. And there we have it. 
even within the world of blood-curdling and macabre, we see a vast spectrum of values. From the self-discipline of the Hogwarts classroom, to the deconstructed sensitivity of those real monsters heading out on scaring missions, to the ambition-driven spirits of the Moranis crew. In this uncanny realm, there is much more to be learned by us mere mortals in our quest towards a school system that jettisons our darkest fears to fulfill our deepest needs. So, Rob. Brendan. Thanks for, thanks for that. Um, it, it blows my mind that you just keep finding these new topics to kind of dig into. Um, I would not have considered for a second uh, following our, our interviews with these, these wonderful people from around the world that we would then go hard and fast into this, into the, into such a, such a rich and unexplored area. And just in time for Halloween, was that, was that, uh, is that intentional? It, it seems like it's the time of year best suited to discuss this kind of topic. I, I think okay. discussing monsters at Easter or on the 4th of July is just, it's, it's, less, uh, it's less in the air. It's more in the air right now. Is Phil it is more in the air it, for us as humans, but, but, but for the monsters themselves, I mean, it's a full-time, it's a full-time job being a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is the time of the year we pay them lip service, but you're right. This, this this is their day to day lives, and yeah. yeah, maybe this is something we need to revisit throughout the year. But well, let's respect that. Um, and you talked about something like a non-canon episode. I'm not really sure what that what that means. Um, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ignore that bit because it's unclear, and I I don't think uh, you could explain that to me in any in any serviceable way. Yeah, so, so really um, clearly, yeah. non, non-canon mm. means an episode that's separate from, from the canon of all the other episodes. Mm. So it's an episode that doesn't have to follow the, the usual continuity of a series. For example... Oh, yeah, I get that part. The yeah, Sims- I, get, I just don't understand why this is, this is the non-canon. Mm. Like, I understand what a non-canon episode is. Of course, you know, it's when... It's when they do the Treehouse of Horror or when, you know, um, suddenly Mork and Mindy turns up on the funds or whatever, you know, it's, it's kind of non-canon. Um, but, but I don't understand why this is non-canon. You know what I mean? You don't but, get but why, anyway. why the ghost schools compared to like really cool, like developmental things. Anyways, whatever. So, ghoul um, schools. The all ghoul school, as they're called, um, do, they, do they work? So just this idea of the monsters all assembling in an educational setting. I've seen them, obviously, at the Monster Mash and, and, and parties and things like that. But, but as in schools, I, I, until you brought these documentaries to my, to my notice, I hadn't actually, um, I hadn't actually considered what, what these guys did outside of that. Um, but I'd really like, now you brought this to my attention, I'd really like to know, I have a lot of questions about how, whether, these guys, whether the education's really suitable for these guys. I was really pleased that you found such a wide range. 
Yeah, it's surprising because in pop culture, in kids' cartoons, in children's movies, in children's literature, monster. Um, yeah, stick monster, to the topic. Monsters do attend. Oh, monsters, yeah, yeah. Monsters yeah. do attend schools. And this mm. is a theme. In fact, there are entire children's series that center around this kind of as like their main plot. And what we noticed was that there's at least these three very different types of schools. And I'd like to point out right off the bat, um, I think there is a bit of a category error that we had. Um, so with the monster okay. school, like a school that is for monsters. Yeah, sure. Who are attending what looks like a human school to get, mm. I don't, I don't want to be politically incorrect, but I'm going to say these are human skills. They're getting their, their language, their math, their science, all the stuff a normal human would expect. Okay. Uh, these monsters I would say that for everybody, thing. but yeah. Yeah. They're getting similar to what humans do. Yeah. Let's say the mm -hmm. skills could be transferable, but, but they came from humans first. But they're across species, species or what, whatever these, uh, whatever these, uh, the, these creatures are. But yeah, they, they, they operate within a very similar worlds to us in all of these uh, in all of these documentaries and videos that you've found yes so in these children's cartoons these animated children's series from the 90s uh what you do see is there's the this idea of monsters doing what kids had already done so we've talked about prussia and where the school systems came from in the late 1700s sure. yeah. but what we see is especially by the mid 90s in mm. animated children's pop culture, we see these monsters kind of attending these sorts of schools. So the Gravedale is an interesting one. This is the Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis, of course. So Rick Moranis, yeah, that uh, that for me was really strange because I know I know him from the movies. So for him to leave, to him to leave the movies and then go become a teacher, that was a strange career choice for me. But it was really interesting what he did when he when he got to the school. Yeah. He, um, he came into Gravedale, I think, with a pedagogical idea in place. And I think he was maybe he, yeah. atoning for his previous sins as someone who would actually bust ghosts. Ghosts, bust ghosts, setting, and shrink kids as well. Shrink kids, blow up, blow up babies. Yeah. Uh, he, had a lot to, he had a lot to atone for, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's interesting to see that. I think he really put his heart and passion into giving back to the ghouls themselves and, and really just wanting to make sure they are prepared for, for the life that a ghoul has in, in their culture, in the citizenry, getting ready for the, for the job market and developing them as creatures. It so, was un, it was, it, it, for me, it was unclear from the, from the, from the films you shared of the, uh, what exactly was the expectation for these, um, uh, again, I don't want to seem uh, politically incorrect, but monsters, these monsters. Um, the, and Moranis, he was running this kind of ambition school where he, they, they, were, they were definitely training for their high school diploma or for something, but it was really, it was a mess. It was very unclear as to what the, the aims were. And no matter how good a teacher you are, I don't think you can really repeatedly stop your classes to do song and dance mm -hmm. numbers it's um the, the, we want a little bit of freedom in there but come on yeah the fact that it, it took up like three to five minutes of the end of almost every episode of the show does seem 
a little bit bizarre. The one episode that I watched, you had this kind of Fonzie archetype character. So like a, the, sure. the Dracula guy who kind of seemed yeah. like he was straight out of happy days. He was the kind of too cool for school. He didn't really want to put forth much effort. He had received an F on his assignment. And Rick Moranis had told him, hey, if you just run for student council, I'll give you an A. And that just seemed, oh. arbit- that seemed arbitrary. That seemed arbitrary. And I've seen that before in some schools with more of a self-discipline paradigm where maybe they weren't actually assessing in a way. But my question about assessment is going to come back again and again because in, in all of these schools, it, it seems as if nobody really knows quite what progress these monsters are making. It's how very healthy. Arbitrary. It's very arbitrary. How, how, how healthy would you say that Gravedale was as a school? Would you send your, would you send your child there if they, if they were uh, uh, a vampire? Or if, if, you, if you had a child and once day you, dis- you, you discovered that they were an invisible boy, would you, would you send them to Gravedale? I guess that comes down to options. Yeah. Um, I think, can we come back to this idea of the, the choice and the freedom for these students and, and this idea of health? Sure. The point I was trying to get to is we, we have Gravedale, which mm. is just for monsters, but monsters, just who for want, monsters, yeah. monsters who want to go on and integrate uh, into the, the human world, it seems. Between the ages of 16 to 18, but they do also allow... Um, ancient beings as well which is i'm not really sure how that kind of works but yeah sure so the monsters are there and they're they're what's your point rob monsters there our second example the monster academy the one that's in the dumpster Mm. the town dumpster Sure. yeah 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 it's a scare school and as we highlighted it's not interested in preparing these people to integrate into into the job market they already know their role they know their job so to speak that the sole purpose of going to school is to figure out how to best scare people. So the, yeah. there's some objective there of how good are you at scaring, but that's the only objective. Every episode. That's wild. <clears throat> yeah. That's so wild it, to think you could even get the funding to set up a school who's, who's only, who only had one purpose and what aim. To me, it's a little bit like... Um, to me, to me, it's a little bit like some of the schools we've spoken to that have a very much a peer mentoring kind of situation. But for, for the monsters to be such a young age, because they were like they're all like nine or ten years old, I, I don't know. Do you have a lot of knowledge about how quickly they would, would expect to be part of the adult world in, in monster land or wherever, well, wherever I, the heck think, it is these guys live? I think you're getting slightly confused there because they're not trying to integrate into the human society. They're there to live outside of the human society and just straight up scare the crap out of people. That's the, oh, no, I understand that part. But I've how soon would they many of, over to the How scaring? soon would they be expected to, to take a full role in that scaring? That's not, that's not clear. That's not But for me, this is a really... This is, I don't know this when is the school. graduation is. I don't know when that leaving of school happens. I, I saw some of the some of the, the some of the newsreels, and uh, I, I it wasn't clear when. But what what's really interesting about this school is it meets an authentic need within the community, and this is where we struggle. Mm-hmm. This is when we talked about the development school. 
and and the school is the walled garden. But these guys, these little these little monsters, they're out there and they're scurrying the they're scurrying the heebie-jeebies of people left, right, and center. And 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 it's it's not easy for these guys. I saw one of the documentaries. If two of them got stuck on a boat and they were, they were off out into the sea, it's like, poof. I don't know if I, as a teacher, could justify that level of risk in my, you know, give, go out, kids, go explore. I'll, I'll see you in a week or two. It's like, you know, what if they don't come back? But they always do come back. It's, I don't know. Mm. They obviously know something that I don't. Yeah, it'd be interesting to tap into that. Of course, you know, when given free license to just write an episode of, of a children's cartoon, you can kind of suspend disbelief. And, but of course, any teacher watching this, clearly sees huge problems within these plots. Yeah, um, I'm a little confused, Rob, as to why you keep talking about children's cartoons. Let, please stick to the topic. Come on. We will so, do one about that at some point, but let's stick to this idea. The monsters are out there. So my main and, point is these first two schools are strictly yeah. about monsters. Their student sure, body sure. is 100% monsters. And within those monsters, you have the Frankensteins and the Draculas and the... The wolf men and, wolf. and women. Ladies, boys, yeah. girls. You have mummies, um, you have swamp monsters, you have nondescript monsters that just kind of have big eyes and body parts in weird places. Yeah, but it's almost are, as if some, some, of these, some of these kind of families, they don't really have a, they, they don't really have a, a, a species genus. of, a, a genus, if you will. It's, it's undefined and I really like to see, in, in a school like this, is there any differentiation or is this really working? Culture doesn't survive in theory, but through action. A wise, a wise man said that. It was you, Rob, and you said that very wisely. Mm -hmm. but, how, but would you send your, say your child developed several eyes and, and, and became globulous, and would you send them to this school? Well, it depends, I think, the parent's motivation. Do I want my child to integrate into the larger society or I do, do I want them to just simply carry out what biology has given them and just mm. spend their entire soul life's purpose just for scaring? Which brings me to our third option, which is this Hogwarts example yes. from the Harry Potter series. Um, mm. I've only seen the movies of this. But this is our witches and wizards. And this is where I find our category error comes in, which is, sure, Gravedale, there's a few witches there. Monster Academy, you can find some, some cackling witches and wizard-looking mm. folks. Hogwarts, this is only for witches and wizards. And there are yeah. monsters and ghouls and ghosts and ogres and all kinds of things, but they're around the school. They are not part of the student body. I just wanted to, I wanted to address the elephant in the room before we unpack it. It's very discriminatory, and I think you pointed that out a little. It, it, it is, um, I just wonder if they could just open their doors a little more and bring those, others, those other kind of uh, creatures in. But, but then I guess a lot of the creatures that are around in the forest, they're already adults. Their children are probably... Their children are probably already off at Gravedale High or maybe at the city dump, already learning to scare. So it's, I don't know, Rob, we'd have to do a little bit more research. I haven't seen these movies that, you've, that, you, that you referred to. Maybe are they fictionalized versions of the, of the documentaries we, 
that you shared with me, possibly, but it, I'd like to stick to just the facts as much as possible. But what's interesting about this school is reminding me a little bit of, say, a stage school. Or I know the the witches and wizards are are welcomed in regardless of their 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 levels, but it seems very much with the, the where they're pushing the uh, the talents and skills of the students in a quite a narrow band. Is it, like somehow, would you liken it in any way to something like a drama school or a stage school where students are being prepared for uh, for the stage and the screen? Within the witches and wizards, well, it's interesting you bring up the arts. Um, this is one of the points that my wife made. She had heard me recording this bit Mm. in the kind of little studio room that I have here. She stood outside the door, passing in the hallway, frozen, listening in terror to some of the comments I was making. She's a huge Harry Potter fan. She's read all the books in both French and English. Uh, having seen the movies, I've only seen, you know, the blockbuster films of the Harry Potter series. I haven't delved into the books yet. And, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about here, but continue. And she had a lot of critiques about what we said. She had, she had actually pointed out to a few of the shortcomings. She said, these, clearly you and uh, Brendan O'Scary had only ever seen the movies and you have not read the books because... I haven't um, seen any of them, Rob. I've only seen the, as, as I see, the newsreels and, um, and talkies that you shared with me. So for example... Students with muggle parents, they did go to normal school. And if we Mm. had read the books, there's scenes of Harry Potter, his hair gets cut and he magically grows it back because he doesn't want to go to school like that. Oh, If you had had wizard parents, yes, Mm. true. Like we said, that you were probably unschooled or or homeschooled up to the point that you enter Hogwarts, having already mastered the skills of reading, writing, and all that. It's kind of a given that you have that when you get in there. Ah, this is a bold assumption though, isn't it? But, But, you know. And all wizards and witches are invited. Open and Okay. But, no, but none of the other magical types. None of the other magical types, no. This They're is like strictly the- wizards and witches, which comes to your question of, you know, is this a vocational school, really? Like, is this just preparing them for, for the trade of mm. witchcraft and wizardry? And I think that's true because you mentioned, you know, is this like a drama school? Oddly enough, there's no art program at Hogwarts. Oh. There's no expressive arts, okay. no, no drama class, no art class, no dance lessons. It's 100% centered around the, these topics of spells and potions and herbology mm. and all this kind of stuff. So it's an exclusive kind of student who gets in. And then if you're in, it's a very narrow band of... of oh, yeah. And, and, and the, the lessons are, are all wrote, you know, textbooks. It's very, very old school. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I've seen no okay. student-led projects. I've seen no differentiated things for student interest. None of that's going on there. No, and interestingly enough, the, the student-led projects seem to involve massive fights. Um, and I'm physical not really violence. sure. Physical violence, often resulting in death. And I had quite a few questions in that area. In one of the... In, in one of the... Um, things that I, I saw uh, yeah there was several several brutal murders and it seems that it was brushed off and they just Par continued. The I didn't, yeah i didn't see any i didn't see any um counseling of any sort or uh it really I was, in, 
it really seems that Hogwarts kind of has two missions. And one is hmm. it's supporting student ability. It's building sure. the capacity for spells and, and all this, this zaniness. And okay. uh, the other thing is it's also just creating its own line of defense against the darkness. Kind of seems the school needs, it's kind of these two interacting relationships where they're hmm. building kids' abilities to, to do spells yeah, at yeah. the same time. It needs those kids there to defend off the darkness, which is constantly trying to destroy the school. Now, as my wife pointed out, these mm. conveniently only focus on the rough times. There were clearly uh. years and decades where there, were, there was no former students trying to completely kill all faculty. You are right. And destroy Come to think the of it. But the, the movies, they focus on the on the universe of this. Uh, they're probably similar to the, to, the, to the documentaries I saw as well. And it was all, it was all fighting and drama. And it was like, yeah. When did, did, did these guys never have like, you know, a, a game of, a, a game of uh, hopscotch? They're never out there. When, when did they have this? If you pardon the pun, when did they have their spelling tests? <laughs> pardon the pun. But... For for me, Rob. So uh, this is the same question. Would you, uh, of the three, say if your if your child, your biological child, develops some powers like this, how would you feel about sending them to this Hogwarts school? Assuming, you know, well, assuming that you. This ahead. is where we need to talk about health, because I want to talk about mm. three. To talk about a, a monster or a witch or a wizard who's going to one of these three options. What would these places look like at their best, at their peak? Okay. Let's go through so them one at a time. just to be clear, yeah, Gravedale. <clears throat> High so school. Yeah. Go ahead. Gravedale. Let's begin there. Gravedale, yeah. Gravedale just wants kids to develop in their capacities within the school curriculum. Their student learning mm. objectives albeit arbitrary at times, given the example with the, the Fonzie-like vampire who could magically change his mark from an F to an A just by simply running in student council. Doesn't have to win, can do a horrible job, but just by simply signing up, he gets an A for this. Hmm. What would Gravedale look like at its best? I think that's... I think that's where differentiation comes in. And, and regardless of how slimy you are or how many eyes you have, it mm. would be there to support you to make sure you're getting the best marks and for clear, clear set out criteria to... Yeah. I think there's the assumption in this cartoon that you're moving into the actual adult world. So you, ne you need those marks. Maybe you want to get off to Harvard or, or Princeton or... Something I like think that. so. It's in, it's in the ambition kind of paradigm pretty clearly. And there seems to be a lot, there's a lot of messing around and not a lot of clarity there. I'm with you, Rob. I think they want a, a nice, clear curriculum. Clarity is the word. Yes. Come on, and, Moranis. No and, wonder he ran away after 13 weeks or whatever it was. Terrifying 13 number of episodes. That, oh. that coincidence didn't, didn't fly past oh. unnoticed. So... Ambition works the best when everything's clear. When it's clear what the expectations are. Mm. When the student knows what the expectations are. When the teacher knows what the expectations are. And when both of them know 
the clear criteria for success for that and how to achieve that success. Mm. It's very goal-oriented and you need to know what the end goal is and you need to know the steps how to get there and to be able to even assess where you are in the steps to getting there. Yeah, so I think I think what Moranis did well is to bring out the kind of fun and to keep the energy up and a positive spirit. But there was a lot of there's a lot of playing around. There wasn't a lot of ditch you know, the songs, ditch the songs, ditch, ditch the games. Find another way to have fun. Don't waste yeah. three minutes of a twenty-two minute episode on on a song and day. Lesson, lesson. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, Grebdale, not the healthiest of ambition schools, things to work on, but let's move on to the, to the, the little monsters that lived under the... One, under one the last mountain. Gravedale comment. Yeah, okay. At ambition in the Gravedale system, it's a game. You're trying to score the best marks possible. Just make the rules mm. of the game clear and the okay. winning objective clear. It's already a game. Make make the criteria for success clear. I guess basically, I just want to say it's, good. it's a game. Yeah, good, good. So moving on to the uh, the little monsters that they're they're going to their their school under the dump and they're off out into the world every day, just interacting and solving problems and peer to peer mentoring and and um, yeah. Well, how does this compare with a healthy kind of sensitivity or even a development school? Yeah, this this clearly shows sensitivity. It's a bit of a paradox, though, because you kind of have the healthiest teaching methods. There is a very Mm. deconstructed, differentiated teaching approach, but oddly enough, for only one core objective. And I think yeah. that, that's, the, that's the imbalance here. I think they've got the teaching chops down pat. They're doing all the right things, pairing up kids with their interests, finding out exactly what the kid needs to work on and developing and giving them their yeah. own unique project, their own unique support to do that. that mm. They're doing everything right there. My yeah. one hang up is that I think they need more than one, more than one trick in their bag. More than one inquiry because it, 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 this looks very much like an inquiry-based school or even versions of unschooling. But if if the inquiry or the unschooling was always about the same topic, the same interest, it would be um, yeah worryingly prohibitive to those to those little monsters that maybe sought a life outside. But we did talk about transdisciplinary movement and transference of skills, but I have a feeling maybe it's not quite enough. And this, this is the one problem that most sensitivity or even inquiry-based schools get into is what about the kid who just wants to do every unit on Minecraft? And there's always sure. this little bit of a negotiation and tussle within the sensitivity schools of, ah, oh, yeah, no, the kids direct their learning. It needs to be authentic. It needs to be meaningful for them. The kids mm. have a say in what they study. We just have some larger themes we want them to explore. Then what do you do when you get the kid who just wants to focus on Minecraft? And, and I think at first there's often a bit of patience from the teacher or the system to say like, oh, well, of course they'll get bored at some point. They'll move on to something else. And then they don't. And you get the kid six months in who's, who's only learned about one thing. And, sure. that, and that's, that's an issue. Maybe you can speak to that with you have more ideas well, I, than I do. 
they, they would bypass that by actually re requiring six different themes a theme related to sharing the planet or a theme related to time and place and so this is the way that they would uh, uh, avoid this but obviously the monsters themes are always how can i scare this person it's a single question it's a very good question and it's vital to them and i think what they have that we are missing is that dynamic push towards that end if we had an aim as life necessitating and and and, and potentially ending as their need i think it would focus our inquiries more yeah i think this and is one of those moments where i need yeah. to check my privilege and just say i'm not I am not a ghoul and you're not a ghoul. No. And I, I can't fully appreciate their perspective and the, and what they are going through and yeah. what their needs are. And I just have to accept that fundamentally we have, we have different reasons for existing for them. It's if I can't scare human beings, I cease to have purpose on this planet and cease and, to exist. Yeah. Almost. There's a yeah. belief that they would cease to exist. Yeah. And I'm not but sure where actually, that belief comes from. Because I've never seen that played out, but that is what's yeah, governing yeah. their cultural story. So, mm. so would I send my kid to Monster Academy? I think this is a negotiation between myself and my ghoulish child. If, okay. if my kid's interest is solely centered around, I want to grow up and I want to scare humans for the rest yeah. of my days. I don't, I don't think there's a better school. I, I, it seems like that would be perfect for your child should they develop such should, a niche. Should they that develop niche. such a niche? And should I also believe that's what's best for them? I mean, in this case, most of the parents are monsters, and so they already share that. You would be in a unique situation as a human with a monster child. But I think these... These documentaries have really opened my eyes to a different world. And, uh, I thank you again for sharing me in on these. So then, that, that then so finally, yeah. Hogwarts. Hogwarts. Now, now we get narrow and we talk about just the witches and the wizards. Yeah. And would I send my kid to Hogwarts? You know, it's not, as a teacher, it's not the pedagogical experience I would want for them. Mm. All of these lessons seem to be teacher at the front of the room, lecturing, talking, and in the movies, you see a lot of student misbehavior and, and lack of interest in a lot of the, mm. and it seems most of the student interest only comes when something kind of interesting happens, like a spell happens or a teacher. A little drama, a little bit of drama. A little bit of drama. That monotony. Yeah. And as a teacher, I don't think that creates meaningful learning experiences for the kids. Mm. So I, what's happening in the class, I don't so much approve of. Yeah. I also don't approve on all the... Uh, murdering death yes death yeah and, i think that's where sheer, i would and sheer just injury injury is happening all the, the time the, the, sheer, the sheer number on an annual basis and i and i don't really like the ghosts that need to be in the school and the the ogres mm. that can occasionally enter the school and wreak destruction sure. yeah and the uh i think those the talking paintings that's distracting. But aside from the physical characteristics, hmm. what, what I do appreciate about Hogwarts is the culture and that sense of lineage holding. And this comes back to kind of our self-discipline hmm. model. I think the, the real gift 
of the self-discipline model is the, the holding of a lineage. And I think we see the healthiest expression of this in something like the martial arts or even a, a meditation lineage. Okay. Where there's not an interest in innovation. There's not an interest in constantly reinventing what it is that we're doing. It's people who have really figured out how to do something the best. Mm. And are presenting the method that works the best. Oh, well, if you look at it, they are the opposite end of the scale from the shambles that Moranis was running. If you look at if you look at Dumbledore before God rest his soul, he was pushed off that, that ledge. Um, he really ran a tight ship. I mean, yeah, of course, there were the missing teachers and the murders and the and the, the the constant infiltration of evil, but generally, those kids had a very stable uh, kind of uh, community that that really led into this apprenticeship apprenticeship system, and mm-hmm. and of course their 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 society surrounding it was much more of a medieval um, hierarchical. Uh, oldy worldy society I don't, I don't know how they managed to exist for so long to be honest without more of an outside world influence but but that's what they're living with and sometimes you need to you know you're doing something important not when you turn to look who is supporting you that's the easy job yeah sometimes you know mm. you're doing something important when you turn around and look at who's opposed to you and if mm. you have the embodiment of pure evil against you yeah, they're that polarized. It probably shows that you're doing something pretty good. You know, if the worst well, dregs of society are against you, yeah. it's probably a sign you're doing some important work there. And I agree that that culture, although on the pedagogy level, might not be the thing I want my kids around. I want mm. someone like Dumbledore to be a mentor for my kid because yeah. you know this. This is where I can sound critical, but there's a lot of teachers in a more conventional school setting that they're not really the kind of adults I want my kid around 30 hours, 40 hours a week during really important developmental years of their lives. Mm. I want, if my kid is developing relationships with adults and having adults mentor them in all those implicit ways, because kids are picking up on how to be an adult, not Mm. through all the explicit things, but through the implicit of just observing how an adult conducts themselves and and feeling out those invisible social norms, I want my kid around Dumbledore. I don't want him around. Sure, Dumbledore. I, I'm with you there. I don't want my kid around Rick Moranis with his feet up on the desk. Whatever it goes down, and and and, and uh, as much as I enjoyed the teachers at the city dump, I do think that McGonagall and Dumbledore were, were leading by example. I'm not sure about some of the other teachers there. But there were, some of the, everyone. there were some more of the, I think, the higher echelon of, of human potential represented in Hogwarts. Certainly. There are some of the, there's some of the, um, the topmost, I would say, to use a technical term, of the, of the teaching profession. So um, would I send my kid so let, to Hogwarts? Yes. Would you send your, your child, should they develop such powers, to Hogwarts? Well, that was going to be my first point is, sadly, I don't have a choice in that. Mm. Mm. Hogwarts will request my child to be there if if, if my child meets their criteria. Yes. Um, mm. 
but let's say they do. Would I want my kid at Hogwarts? I would fear for my child's life and safety. Sure. On a daily basis. On a daily basis, yes. But uh, is it worth the trade-off of ascending to the highest levels of Hmm. sorcery? Should they survive? Should they survive? They will. They will be given a serviceable self-discipline. I, I, for me, I don't think that trade-off is worth it as much okay. as I would want my kids to, to have such an interesting, interesting experience mm. and hopefully make some good friends. It seems like there are some, some reasonable students, but there's some also just total jerks. There's some total jerks out there. And I didn't see the same representation of jerks at the Monster Academy or Gravedale. No, and Gravedale, Gravedale is a safe choice for me. Mm-hmm. I would say Gravedale, that's my mainstream. And I really like what the, the what the little monsters knew at their Hogwarts. Mm, I'm torn, even without the even with the constant malevolent uh, infiltration. I'm still torn. Um, but a lot to think about there, Rob. And I really appreciate you bringing this uh, this whole new realm of, um, of of witches, wizards, and monsters uh, to my eyes. Because yeah, as I said, beyond Halloween, I don't really know what those guys do day to day. So um, obviously, I'll be I'll be keeping my doors and windows locked, especially for, although, although with those kind of, with those goons out at Gravedale, they probably couldn't even puncture my neck if I was. Splayed out. <laughs> if I was splayed out on an altar. Mm. Now, one, one last question, I think, before we wrap up. Those have been my takes, but you, mm. you have two human children. Let's say I two. Let's say tomorrow yeah. they develop into both a witch and a wizard, respectively. Yeah. Mm. Let's say that all three of these options are open to them because witches yeah. and wizards could fit in at Gravedale. They could fit in at the Monster Academy or they could fit in at Hogwarts if, if so requested, which they would be. It seems all you need is the yeah. age of 11, a heartbeat, and some capacity for wizards to, wizardry mm. to Hogwarts. Yeah. Out of those three, which ones would you send them to? Well... I think the the question is theoretical, Rob, because I don't I don't think that's going to happen. But let's let's say it does. Um, Gravedale, I, I as much as I love the singing and the dancing, I don't think that Moranis uh, or his replacement uh, could set up these guys. For, and I think uh, I think actually some of the mummies and uh, the Wolfmen in that class would be more of a distraction uh, than a help for for my kids. Um, so Gravedale's out. Hogwarts, mm, I don't know. As much as I think my daughter would be very, very happy that she's she's very much like that Hermione character. She she would love to learn the spells and use them. Mm, and and probably the constant danger is is something she could deal with. So I think I'd be tempted to 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 send the youngster out to Hogwarts. That wouldn't work so much for the for the boy. No. He needs he needs that freedom, and I think moving into moving into the real the, the little monsters underneath that dump that would spur him on, and he would see the challenge, and he would jump into that slipstream that that um that, that ghoulish slipstream, and he would he would embrace the scurrying, and he would be out there left, right, and center, booing, and then hoo hooing, and um waving his fingers around and, and he would be, he would be, um, it would be spooktacular 
So I think uh, I'd send him there to the dump, uh, but with a little caveat that I, I would I would tell the teachers they need to keep a little little closer eye on on the on the kids. You can't. I'm not really keen on this idea of sending them out for days or weeks at a time with no uh, with, with no with no checks and balances. And maybe a little bit of assessment. Maybe that's something we can talk about next time. Wink. But uh, yeah, those are my two. Those, those are where I'd send my two. The piece I'd add to that Monster Academy piece, you'd have to know your son wants to spook humans. Oh, yeah, yeah he does. He definitely would in that situation. You wouldn't want him like slacking off or doing the bare minimum just to get by. Mm. You would Absolutely want not. And he's a smart cat. You know, he might figure it out, oh, no, I'm, to- I'm totally into the spooking and, and do his stuff to take the bite. Maybe he doesn't really care about the spooking. If you knew his heart was in it, I think that's the option for him. Exactly. And I think, I think uh, knowing my son, were he to develop some supernatural powers, he definitely, definitely would use them to, to spook and, uh, and, uh, and really put the, put the willies into people. That but, might but be an I adolescent think, phase, but assuming could be, that could he's be. on, yeah. But he wouldn't, I don't think he goes far as those, as, as he who should not be named in all of his cronies. No, I don't think there's anything actual malevolent. And, I'd, and I'd, I'd, be actually, concerned, I'd be concerned for your boy at Hogwarts because I think it would yeah, be a little. easy for him to fall in with the wrong crowd there. So Clint in his eye. And that, Mal, that Malfoy, you know, he looks like an interesting cat, you know. He's got more edge to him than some of these other. These a other. little bit of an edge, edge lord. They'd like to call them on the internet. Um, well, that, that was a, a, a long and very detailed and interesting chat about this entirely real phenomenon of ghost schools. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, Rob. Thank you, Brennan. I, I think, it's, I think it's, worth, it's worth exploring these kind of fictional tales of representation of the schools. I remember growing up watching old-timey children's cartoons on VHS tapes that would show very much you know, I think what what would be more monster schools or the kind of Gravedale? Yeah, monster uh, schools are common in comics approach. as well. A lot, lot yeah. of English comics in the seventies and eighties had a, a a school that was filled with monsters, or to flip that, a monster teacher in a normal school. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Lots of fun. Lots of fun to be had with that concept. Yeah. A very little, very little time spent on describing the curriculum <laughs> yeah. in any in any real detail. Possibly next Halloween, we could do a, a ghoul school assessment or ghoul school curriculum yeah. idea. Well, when I was researching this, there was, I did look into the Hogwarts curriculum. And when you look online, there's a, there is a whole bunch of stuff online. And I, we broke character in there. Character's been broken. Anyone that's still with us at this point, the, the joke's over. But um, so much has been written about Hogwarts, especially. And, and there, there are sites where you can actually see in depth as much of the curriculum as they have um, as, as, as is known and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Rowling puts out an entire Hogwarts curriculum document probably way better than the British curriculum <laughs> <laughs> probably more meaningful and more engaging than the British curriculum uh, yeah no, that, was, that was fun thank you Brendan thank you Robert and uh, we will pick up uh, next time with uh, back into the interviews. 
Awesome. Those are going really, really well. I, I think it's been really valuable and set, setting us up really well for what comes after that when we really start to look at that concept of healthy self-discipline and uh, ambition and development and how you can bring those three together into a healthy uh sorry, a sensitivity and how you can bring those three together into a healthy development-led uh, school. It's going to be a big uh, undertaking for us to try and set that next level out, but um, appreciate the the discussions we're having. Yeah, as much as this been, has been a rambling, shambling mess of a Halloween episode, I think we have actually given a, a premonition to use a slightly spooky sounding word, foreshadowing of yeah. what is coming, which is our next area of discussion, as you just said, is to, to look at what are the healthiest expressions of these three, which we actually did through the, through the lens of ghoul schools today. Yeah. And to move forward, to talk about this development value of, well, how can you just draw the healthiest aspects of all three of these? We've often used this dial analogy of having three dials, a self-discipline dial, an ambition dial, and a sensitivity dial. And when can yeah. you turn up one, turn down the others? And that's where our discussion is going next. And yeah, it was really interesting for me when we started looking at the, these three types of schools that, that within media, they had already kind of on some level been like they're in the, they're in the air. The fact that those three stories the the hogwarts and the and the real monsters and the um and the, the the more generic high school kind of with monsters kind of thing um the, those three just being out there shows that already those ideas are floating around in culture and they are and have been for quite a while so um yeah looking forward to get back on with uh, some serious talk but um good times thank you brennan Thank you, Robert.